Kia ora and good Northern from Today Radio Studio 4 in Kirschberg, the headquarters of Let's Talk Sport, arguably your go-to destinations for all things sport in Luxembourg. We've got a good one tonight, Scott. We have. We're diving. Diving. Sliding. Sliding. Kicking, I like that. Sliding. Charging. I'm trying to think of all these. Shouldering. Basically, we're going to talk about football. We're going to talk. Yeah, we're kicking. We're kicking. We're alive and kicking. Yeah, we're uh, we're going into the uh, the world of football, and uh, we're very thrilled to uh, be joined by our guest this evening, whose name I'm not going to pronounce the first time because Nathan's already practiced it a couple of times, so he's going to do it. We have got Alexandros Evan Evan Gallagher. Why did I stuff that up? I've even practiced before. Okay. Yeah, and I'm not editing it. I'm not stopping it now. So we've just got to keep going. Alex, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Long story short. How the hell did we actually link up? So you were just telling us. What? How yeah, did you the, tell us? You the, saw the, the simple saw the part was from uh, uh, Louisa. My uh, is uh, together with my best friend, and uh, she was here two, two, three weeks ago. I heard a podcast and uh, Nathan's voice, and I said I actually recognize this guy. And I saw on top that he works in top squash or has played top squash before. And I said, oh, go. My dad knows him. So yeah. I said to my dad. Go and speak to Nath. Stavros, um, one of our best-looking members, came st- storming into my into the office. Do, do you know what? I say hello to your old man all the time in the gym, and I didn't know yeah. his name is Stavros, mate. The next time I'm going to be like, oi, oi, Stavros! <laughs> next time we see him, next time we see him up in the gym. Um, Alex, as I said, we've uh, I guess the football. It's not that it's new to us, but it's certainly an area that we've branched into. We've been lucky enough to have a lot of the pros uh, in Luxembourg come on and, and sort of open our eyes to the world of football um, but as you know Luxembourg's small place so we love about hearing um, about people like yourself who have you know jumped over the fence to see if the grass is greener it very much is in this instance so you're obviously at, um, Oxford United at the moment which is up my neck of the woods um, actually when I was at school we had a couple of lads who were sort of playing in the juniors juniors there so it'll be quite interesting to hear the, what the correlation is between how it is out here and how it is in the UK obviously UK I guess the big the first big thing is the the pool of players that you're uh, that you're ultimately dealing with so what is your role um, at the moment at Oxford United? At my current role I'm the foundation phase lead so I'm responsible for under sevens to under tens that's my main role but then uh, during the day, I help uh, with the under-18s and under-23s as an ILP coach, individual coach, uh, as well as some pros on days where they need some more support. So that's what I do for a living. Is, when you say, like, uh, the first thing that really interests me is obviously we, we're massive in terms of the, the youngsters, in terms of getting them involved and stuff. But just looking towards that sort of higher level, you know, the under-23s and the and the senior guys. So when you're saying you're doing one-on-one stuff, what, what sort of stuff were you saying, this guy can't kick with his left foot, so we're going to go out and practice that? Or presumably there's a bit more bit more to it than yeah, that? It all depends. Obviously, there are some players that want to work sometimes on both feet, the ball striking. We have a player who is like an under-23 player who has an really really good left foot but he needed to work on his right foot touch or setting the ball as a striker so he was a number nine holding the ball and that's where you can do the simple basic stuff and if you get the basic right perfectly then you will become a in my opinion good footballer but that's like the one-to-one session in a position specific outcome that we can help their strengths to become even better and hide their weaknesses so that's what the idea is by helping them as much as you can per position and the higher you go it's even linked to the tactical stuff so then knowing what kind of pattern you want to do in which situation but for me as a coach at the 18s and 23s it's all technical based because you need to get the technique the social corner the technical corner and the physical corner if you get them right you're going in the right direction i mean ultimately it's all well and good talking about a game plan and a system but if you don't have the fundamental skills in place you know it's 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 irrelevant and it's something that I'll just use rugby as the example here for me it's a big problem in rugby is where you get guys who want to come up and train uh, you know a couple of nights a week and, and, and then play on the weekend and that's all well and good but ultimately in rugby there are some really really important instances where you have to have a higher level of skills for the game to function it's all well and good saying you're a hooker but can you throw you know because if you can throw in you can get the line out working also if you can hit the tail of the line out then you can basically tran- you can completely transform the way you can attack because you can go off the tail of the line out you can go you know you can get real width on the ball scrum half you know if you can't pass the ball on the deck and your scrum half can't pass the ball what what's the point in having a system or a shape to play if your scrum half's going to pick up the ball and stuff like that i mean that, i'm just relating it to something that, that you're f- familiar with 
let's come back a little bit further though, getting that, getting those fundamentals because you're in the foundation stage, working with the under sevens to under uh, under tens. Yeah. How, how much fun are you having there? Oh, um, it depends on every day I come, even if it's a bad day, raining day, like 365 days is raining yeah. England, as we all know. But that's harsh, mate. You should go to Germany, mate. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, so when you have a, a bad day like that and you come and you see nine, eight, seven years old come and they see the badge, they just come with a massive smile. So that actually changes your whole mood suddenly going, oh, you know what, I'm going to, today is going to be the best session I can do with the boys. It's going to be the best thing I can do. And obviously you're not supposed to join in, but we know we have some fun handball, rugby games. We're actually playing one at the moment. The boys get involved. Music is playing because we brought a speaker. So getting a nice vibe to the feeling for the boys is by playing music. So we have everything to get the boys just buzzing off the sessions and making them feel the, 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 the sessions. We've talked about it many times. We always remember our first coach, do you remember your first coach? Oh, uh, yeah. So he was in Luxembourg. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, but yeah. for good or bad for, reasons. For good or bad reasons. But well, if they get the, the coaches give these positive experiences, yes. you're, you're you're a good chance you're going to stay on track. So yes. I'm assuming your coach was a was a good one. Where who was he and oh, he, at what he, football club? He, he was in uh, Munzbach. He, he's now uh, retired. He's uh, uh, at home. I went to visit him actually this summer because he wanted to hear about me how I'm doing and uh, he's uh, yeah he was my Bambini coach I think that's how you call them in Luxembourg and yeah was a fun guy just made me like football and, and be as much as I could be. Now I often talk about movies and stuff when we're uh, <laughs> when we're on the show and stuff. Uh, previous show I didn't um, what's actually just popped into my head have you ever seen the video of Ian Wright when he goes back to Highbury before yep. they uh, knock it down have you seen that which one um, so he goes he's doing like a documentary or, um, about Highbury before they turn it into the Emirates and he um, he's he's talking and basically they talk to a guy called Mr Pigton who oh, was his yes, PE yes, teacher I remember that one. Yeah, and, yeah, he, yeah. and he walks up to him and the way Ian Wright turns around and like the in, you know the cap off the instant respect and the instant memory of like you know somebody who was a massive influence uh, on him. And I think ultimately that's the proof in the pudding. I think it was very very uh, very very cool to watch something like that. And ultimately that's what you're trying to do as a coach. You're trying to inspire these Young these kids for a not even a lot uh, you know a, a love of football, but a love of just being active and being sporty. Yeah. So yes, look, you know you have to accept that. Not everybody's going to cut the mustard to make it to the top level. No. But, you know, as we've spoken about before, just because you don't make it to the top level as a player doesn't mean you can't be successful in your uh, in your sport, Nathan. I mean, I think it's the ultimate when, uh, you know, what, what's the ultimate point thing that you want out of your child? You want them to be able to give back. Yeah. So it doesn't matter in what, what form that is, whether it's being a player, being an administrator, being a coach, whatever it is, if they're giving back to their community, it could be even dropping the, taking their kids yeah. to, to, to their sport, then, you know, that's, for me, that's the ultimate of sport, and you're certainly doing it. Coming, yeah. staying with these under sevens and under tens, they, they, they're, they're already in the academy at Oxford, are they? Or they, they, they come from school directly? How does it work? So uh, uh, at under sevens, eights, you, you are still registered at, like, your grassroots clubs. So it's a bit hard sometimes for kids because they might be playing... Monday with Chelsea, Tuesday with Reading, uh, Wednesday with Southampton, Thursday with Oxford, Friday with Chelsea again, and then they might pick and choose who they want to play on Saturday with. And then they play Sunday with their grassroots club. So there are some kids at seven years old where parents are pushing them to do five different clubs, get them the best areas where they can go to. Um, so at seven and eights, we have to, uh, one session a week, uh, every Thursdays, and then for a squad where we think they have high potential to get registered at the club, we train them on a Monday as well. And when we have offered them, they then come to us. If they have chosen to stay at Oxford and not going somewhere else, they then come and train with us Monday, Wednesdays and, and Fridays. For the under eights, you also start playing games officially against other clubs like yourself, Northampton or, or QPR or whatever. And that kicks you, in. You mean West Ham? Yeah, yeah, we've played West Ham. Yeah, we've played West Ham. <laughs> That's boy, true. Okay. Same yeah, difference, isn't it? QPR, West Ham, same. But again, every club has a different culture. We went to West Ham and we played on a massive, massive pitch. But because theirs idea are about developing players who are high scanning fre frequency midfield players who can play 360s, that's for them really important. So they play on massive fit pitches. We play on cages in Oxford. Because we have very nice boys. We have it really well in Oxford. Very similar to Luxembourg. Yeah. But to make kids a bit more, let's say, needing to fight for a ball, K 
cages are perfect because the ball comes back in and you're straight back in. Yeah, the there's no goal. hiding. There's no hiding. There's no there. hiding in cages. When you play five v five, it's different to eleven v eleven. One player can be bad. When you play five v five or four v four, you'll get caught. And that's where we are trying just to make sure that we can see the best talent. Like you say, a massive pool in Oxford. You can choose more than six hundred fifty thousand people within an hour of your region. That's where we can go and pick up players and. When we offer them at under eight, they come into the club officially at under nine. It's quite interesting because you're talking about these these younger kids, and if I put my sort of you know GCSE and A level head on this from a, from a teaching point of view, you're sort of going into what you call LTAD, sort of that long term athlete development and stuff, aren't you? But how how do you look at something like that? Because now you know put me right if I'm wrong here but I would imagine you're not going to bring on somebody who's only going to last three months it is very much a case of I think this guy has potential here and ultimately you want him to stay with you and go on to uh you know play you know well that's the hardest bit is selfishly you want him to play for the first team at Oxford because then he's a product of the system but ultimately if he is that good he's going to go on to Something bigger and better. Yeah, so obviously when we look at kids, we want to have <laughs> efficient movers so they can move from one direction to the other. They're very technically based and we all look at 1v1s. At a kid at that age, just has to be me and the ball. How good can he be on the ball to take players on? How good can he be potentially to pass someone in? Like there's every player can have that specific skill and I can be good 1v1 attacking, but also good, very good 1v1 defending. So we look at these players who can then become something it's very difficult to prospect uh, to tell you because the, the rate of an under nine becoming a professional player is less than 0.0001 so for us it's a big slogan to talk about <laughs> investing the lives of young men so we're trying to develop people not only players that's so important because if they after four years from under nine to under 13 they drop out you know, something wrong. Yeah, something, so, something's been wrong. You know, we've been football every weekend, every time. Suddenly you have nothing. If you're in Oxford, it might be a bit more difficult. When you come from Manchester United, where you've had a massive bubble, you get shoes, you get everything, where you go like, okay, what am I going to do? And that's where we want as young man help them as much as we can in the community. Are you helping here? Are you going to sell tickets in the shop or whatever it is, trying to help the community and became, making them a better person. And it starts with manners, saying hello, goodbye, asking how you are doing. Not only I ask you how you are doing, but also asking back. So small stuff like that are important at kids. It's so good at when you can work this way. As I say, I can see you thriving on this. When you're working with these, you know, these, these young, young kids, young people, and they uh, and 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 the response to that, and when they get you know two or three years later, and and you're getting that feedback that you've been training, it's just a it's it's a buzz, right? Yeah, yeah. We I've had now the uh, this year I had to give away the under tens because they went into the next phase, which was called the transition phase. But I had these boys for three years, so over three years you get to know every single person, not only how they're on the pitch, but does they have a brothers? Do they have a dog? What is their favorite? car whatever it is you get to know them as persons you also get to know the parents you create really good relationships with with parents as well and then going and to see them to go into the 11s and doing then with a new phase new people they're doing well that's something where i go like okay when they walk past me they still go and see ask me how are you doing how are things it is that relationship that you build with people and not only players <laughs> why why is it, why do you think that when you've got um when you've got that big, you know, such a bigger pool of players, ultimately player welfare is massive, isn't yeah. it? So you want to try and, I mean, it sounds a bit cliche, but you're ultimately your goal is to try and get as many of those kids to keep wanting to come back to every every session because yeah. if they want to be there, they, they've got a better attitude going into it. it. You know, it pushes the standard up. Of course it does. But then why when we, look, I'm not, I don't want to chuck Luxembourg under the bus here, but... Let's say a, a smaller, a smaller country. Do you, you know they're almost focused on that performance side of stuff as opposed to actually being like, you know, do we actually need to retain or can we just let's just focus on getting the best players through because, you know, yeah. they're sort of a lost cause sort of thing. Do you? Yeah, I get where you you yeah. want to go. It's just obviously. Um, from my understanding, the Luxembourg is helping in football wise. They're, they're trying to support them as much as I can, as they can, and the FLF are, are trying to educate the grassroots coaches with UFSC and BNA qualifications. 
from my understanding with the FLF, there's a lot of money going to the top, whereas in England, they're helping everything from the bottom into even academies and grassroots because we are the one developing the players. Whereas in Luxembourg, the federation is pushing a lot of players into going abroad. So it's a bit different for us to keep them in England. Normally, they want to come and play an academy of football kids. That's for them life to just go and play football and go and play Arsenal, QPR, Northampton, Forest Green, whatever. They, they want to be there. If a kid doesn't like to be there, we have a player care officer. So he's designated. That's his full-time job just to take care of people. And that's a, a something that I don't see enough in England, uh, in Luxembourg, where you have help of the situation. And I, I was in the same situation when I was in the FLF. I didn't have anyone to speak to at that time if I needed something. And I think that's something Luxembourg should work on. Let's come back further. Let's look about your your own yeah. career because you were you were as we said footballer at at, at, um, at journey. Uh, well, yeah, journey. What about getting to from from. Alex has a, <laughs> Alexandros, sorry, Stavros. I'm getting Alexandros from Stavros Flatley, <laughs> from being being a, being a kid there doing your keepy uppies at uh, Munzbach because I know I've seen you with the with the video on doing the, <laughs> doing the one twos through the coach <laughs> through the cones. I've seen it all. Tell us about that that journey getting getting to Oxford because there's there's COVID, there's uh, yeah. there's studying, yes, there's there's injuries, yeah, there's a. Uh, Played football with the FLF until under 16s and and enjoyed most part of it. it. Was brilliant to go and play clubs. So you've played with some of the boys that would be playing in the national yeah, so team now, like Daniel Sinani, uh, Florian Bonat, all the generation born '97. Yeah, that's uh, kick Christopher Martins in Moscow. Like these are all young young bucks for me, man. Yeah. <laughs> young bucks for me. <laughs> most of them are the same generation as me. And I'm really happy to see them all play. But I played until under 16. Then. Um, after that, I played locally in uh, Hostet and tried to get outside in Cyprus and Iceland. One of the nicer nicer pitches you've played of in, in Hostet, right? Oh, yeah, the surrounding it's actually, the right, trees. It's, it's, yeah, it's my like favourite football favorite pitch one. to drive past. Yeah, yeah, it is I love it. Really nice. It's really nice. Um, but I had three operations <clears> in the end on my knees. Both knees, the cartilage broke off. So um, I was in the NS in university in in school and high school, and I did it about twenty eight hours of sport a week. Uh, my niece didn't hold on with it, unfortunately. Some others did. Was it, were, were, is it, can you point that to a re- reason? Could you say is, there's an, an overload on, on, on your body? Could you say, yeah. was, it, was, it a, was it a bad tackle? Was no, it, uh, no, it was just an overload on my body. My body couldn't handle that much of sport. And it wasn't everyday football. It was mo- most of the time football, but then there was maybe uh, jumping ropes or uh, that was uh, doing judo or whatever it was, weightlifting. There was a massive program here at NES and... Um, it wasn't individualized enough and wasn't specific to each uh, player. So that's where, for me, my body couldn't handle it. And that, that's fine how it is. Now it turned out to uh, a positive way in the end <laughs> still. Um, uh, but I really enjoyed it. I had three operations. wasn't the best time. But I finished in April and I had to go and study because my dad was telling me, yeah, obviously, what are we going to do now? Always have a plan B. And that was uh, to go and study. And he found a university in Southampton called Solent University. I did a bachelor in football studies, it's called, so I'm happy to have a bachelor. Then went on, uh, after two years in, in the bachelor, I managed to get uh, an interview and a job at Oxford United as a volunteer placement. So I actually told university, hold on there, I'm going to do one year volunteer work for Oxford and then go and work for the 23s and as an analyst and 16s, even though I knew I'm not an analyst, I'm more of a coach. When I did that, in the same year, COVID came. So my placement finished like in March. And when I had that, I was a bit like, what is happening with uni? I wasn't sure. In July, we get the message saying that we can do university online. So then Oxford called me and said, are you able to stay in Oxford and help in the program in any ways? Well, that was going to be my next question because, again, I've been out of the UK for a while, but I don't think things have changed so much where Southampton... It's not particularly close, you know. It's a reasonable commute up to what? How long does that take from you? From where? From here? South, from no, South, Southampton South, up to Oxford. Oh no, that was uh, only uh, an hour ten. 
If you go the M3 up, it's... It depends when you, you go, you mate. Pay, yeah. A43 past Newbury, yeah, so is that, is that, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah then you get stuck. <laughs> it depends when you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> fair enough. Sorry. I, I only... I, I lived two years in Southampton and then when I did my placement, I actually lived in... You Oxford. moved to Oxford. Yeah, the, the club helped me with accommodation, which was fantastic because I had no idea how to find anything. Yeah. Um, so I was really lucky in that. <clears throat> but when I uh, came the second year and, and it... Um, did that COVID years, everyone says it had some positives for me because university was online. So I could do it remotely. I was then studying. I was doing the national team with Iceland under 21. So we qualified to the Euros 20 uh, under 21 championship was fantastic. And I was allowed to go with England and be uh, with, uh, with Oxford and uh, being in a bubble with uh, 18s and being go- able to go out when most of the people in the UK were to stay inside. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you clearly got the good genes because your mother's Icelandic, your father's <laughs> your father's Greek. He's got a small citizen of the world, small, isn't he? He's, he's he's putting us in our chair. That's for sure. <laughs> he's got the good genes, good languages as thank, well. Thank you. It's all going for him, Scott. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not, it's not yeah. bad. It's it's yeah. a, again. It's an interesting journey, isn't it? Uh, something I want to sort of really get into is, you know, what what are what are your I guess your qualifications, you know, if I'm listening in and I think, yeah, I'd like to go down that football route. What you've obviously, as you said, you went and did your bachelor's, but you were talking about your A for B, A, B, C. I don't know. What, what have you done? What have you got at the moment? Um, I got uh, a year for B and then advanced youth award, which is like the B plus, if you look at it like that. So what does that entail? If I, if I tomorrow, I get onto my UEFA. Just to keep you up, please, mate. I do. I'm, I'm quite good at free kicks. Um, <laughs> uh, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? I'm just asking the wrong two points. I don't know why you'd kick it in because you only get one in football. You kick it over, you get two. You know. Um, but uh, yeah, UEFA B. If I, uh, if I, yeah. Sorry if it sounds a bit feeble. I register for the course. I'm accepted on yeah. the course. What does that entail? Is that a couple of Sunday afternoons and, and that's done? I think it's a bit more than that now, no, isn't so, it? No, uh, so you start with, a, in England, level one, level two, which is now the UFSC. So <coughs> for for that, I think you have to do about, I don't know, uh, we had three weekends, actually, like you said, for the level one. Then and again, you had about four to six weekends for the level two. And then the UFAB was... That was a bit during COVID when I did mine. So it was a bit special. It was a lot online and, and doing a lot of stuff from home. But you end up doing five to six Fridays to Sundays or Monday to Wednesdays, however they structured. And yeah. you, I, I was in St. George's Park, which is the Mecca of football, obviously. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> Mate. Yeah, yeah. Have, yeah. You, Have you seen it? Have Mate, you seen it? I've been there. Yeah. It is incredible. Yeah, it is. Like, imagine, right? You talk about how good the track is up at. Um, I thought Mondekons was. No, I thought Mondekons no, was mate, really good, but this mate, is you go, level. you go, you think how good the track is um, up at Stade Deluxe, right? Imagine about twenty of these. All, yeah, about, yeah. They're all immaculate pitches. We were up there. We went up to watch a tournament. Um, a young lad I used to uh, used to teach at school was playing up there. We went up to watch him, and you pull in, and it is there's a big hotel there. But yeah, the, co- the hotel, yeah. yeah, yeah, the coolest one is they have a big, a full size indoor pitch, and they can obviously play around with the humidity and all that yeah. stuff. Like it is ridiculous. But traditionally, the where did England used to train? Uh, Lillish, in, uh, Lillishaw. Uh, Lillishaw, yes, yeah, exactly. that which is down sort of towards London. But then obviously logistically they were like well if we're picking boys from all the clubs around um the uk then logically it needs to be more centralized and stuff but it is it's an incredible setup it's incredible you've done you've done um have you taken training there or that's where you were doing your courses that's where i was doing my courses Courses, but not every course is there i was quite lucky because through the academy you get the most academy coaches in there and you then, as a new coach, you register, you might get to the UFAB, you finish your UFSC. It's not like a pass or fail. It is how good you are at that time and how can you work on yourself. So after three, after like six blocks of your UFSC, they will come and watch your session. Yeah. What have you learned? You have done a project on next to it. And then they might assess you and say, hey, listen, you, you need to work on a bit of that. I'll come back in six weeks. In six weeks, they'll come back. Oh, you've done brilliant. You're signed off. You've got to show that you can take on board yes, that feedback exactly. and implement it. Exactly. Yeah. So then you go to the B license. Now it's a bit more, okay, it's not just making sure the sessions are fun, high ball rolling time, uh, making sure everyone is just engaged. Now it's okay. How can we specialize on um, doing sessions, improving one player by involving everyone? So making sure you're actually putting a session to improve your midfielder, but 
you're making sure everyone is part it's of engaged. it, educating <clears throat> and helping everyone. Then you go to the next step, which is the Advanced Youth Award. That's where, again, now you go and do the analysis. How can you work on the different, like, uh, timings, movement, perceptions, like that you go into the de detail of individually, individually helping the, the player. Then you go to the A license, which is more tactical stuff, where you have the 11 v 11. And then the pro license, that's where you manage to go. You do the, the psychology part, the social part, yeah. the communication, the laws. That's yeah. where you, you learn everything. You, you've said the UEFA pro license, but at what stage in that... Um, Time frame. Pro, well, I guess in that, that fairly, you know, that, pro, that, that progression, at what stage are you, you know, if you're seriously considering becoming a professional football coach, yeah. what level do you need to be... In a, you know, is it a case of if you've got your UA for B, it doesn't matter? Because like, uh, it's a lot simpler in rugby because it's basically level one, two, three, four. And if you're one and two, that's your community coaches and stuff. But then there's an enormous jump up to level three. Yeah. And if you get your level three, that's when you are, you know, you are basically considering a career in rugby coaching. Okay. So, so how does that relate across to, to football? So in football, uh, you have the level one and two, which is the UFC and they every grassroots like everyone can sign up for that they do them quite frequently yeah. level one is even now online so you can just go and do the courses online so everyone who is a parent want to go and do that then when you go ufab you actually become qualified to work in an academy environment because in an academy environment you need to have specialized qualifications to actually be qualified for the club so that's where the ufab comes in so you're a bit more now you can start in in, in career in coaching football when you get UIA license, you're well qualified of doing most of the age groups. You can do nines to, to 21s or 23s. Uh, whereas with the pro license, that way it helps you going into finding clubs on the first team level over the world. Now you have occasions like a, a guy called Will Still. He was in my university. He's now the head coach or the manager of um, Stade Rons. Oh mate, we spoke about it. this. Yeah, is the bloke did. who yeah. Belgium, so, Belgian guy. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly. yes. Yeah. The story about him. Yeah. yeah, but go on. Sorry, very so cool, he, very he, cool. He, I take some LinkedIn because he now got a new contract, so he's now officially five years or three years. I can't remember, but he was in my university, and for me to see that, you know, he didn't even have a pro license, so he the club got fined every time. Twenty, were, it was like yeah. twenty five thousand euros or yeah. something. And every time yeah. he every time they played, and he was a manager of like the club, near half a season. Yeah, so they did eleven games or twelve games. Yeah, but so. he was crushing it as well, so they didn't care, did yeah. they? Yeah, so they drew against Fran uh, Paris, and they were doing good results in the season. So the, I think he didn't lose for for six, seven games in a row. So he was doing all right, and that's where now he's doing his pro license, and then you are a qualified person yeah. in that sense. I think that's really, really. Um, What's the word? Very appealing to hear something like that happening because more often than not, unfortunately, football and rugby, it's an old boys network. How many times do you see someone like, like let's use someone like Steven Gerrard, a okay, cracking player, but just because you're a good player doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach, does it? Yeah. Because ultimately you're going to, you, you've not really gone off and you know applied your trade you're just going to use what how you how you were coached you know and so you see a lot of these guys who come in and there's just a, a conveyor belt isn't it but you're laughing yeah. if you sign on as a head coach you sign on at heads, as head coach at Chelsea what are you going to pick up I don't know probably five or six million a year and then if they realise you're crap they're going to sack you after a week but then they've got to pay you out of your contract haven't they so it's like you know, it's uh, but do, do you see that a lot yeah. with these guys basically almost do the rounds, don't they? And yeah. So yeah, speaking about like obviously professional coaches, like if you are a top club, oh, West Ham, and you have a coach, well, what's, what's the difference there? between top club and West Ham? Uh, no, no, it goes, it goes, it goes, club. You managed to win the Conference League. Or, or something. <laughs> I thought that was we a won, joke. The Conference uh, League is actually, we won a it's cup. actually we won, a trophy. We won a cup. I don't know if you heard. They're actually bringing in a fourth tier to European competition next year as well. You know, so. Uh, no, so if you uh, uh, have like West Ham and it's a big business, football needs to be understand on top level, it's a business. There's nothing else than business, but just very ruthless. Uh, you, you go to RTL, you wouldn't get sacked if you wouldn't have the viewers after three months. You would stay on. Sure. You, it's a different environment in football. It's ruthless. You don't get the viewers. You're, you're done, finished. And like you say, you get a, a payoff. However, young coaches like myself, we would have it very difficult in England to get a career because I'd never played. Whereas a coach who might only have two years of coaching, but played, Mark Noble played in West Ham, he's now top, top guy, uh, director of football, whatever, mm -hmm. in 
West Ham. So they do get f- fast tracked, or not really? Yeah, they still- yeah. They're, the Greece definitely get fast tracked. They, they. If you've played six hundred games in the Premier League, yeah. you must be you, your knowledge must be alright to, yeah. to be surviving. In that. You, and if you're West Ham, you come through a few coaches as well, so you yeah, got some, so some different you get styles. To learn. Well, I, I think <laughs> you say if you've played six hundred games, you know you would have that knowledge. But what you got to remember is football and a lot of professional sport these days has gone through a massive transition yeah. in the last 15 20 years like you cannot compare the team that played in 2003 to a team that played in 2023 yes. just in terms of the technology the equipment the nutrition the strength of conditioning the, the player welfare you know it's just advanced on so much. Personally, I actually think you're going to see... Go back see, to the George Best years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you. I, think, I think you're at that stage now with football because it is, um, let, let's call it as it is, it's a money-making business. Player welfare is so far down on the on the agenda. Ultimately, it's you're not going to get people playing 600, 700. You're not going to get a Ryan Giggs playing 800 games for Manchester United. It's just yeah. not going to happen because ultimately, once you're... Past your you uh, the mills, the mills going to go. Yeah, faster, mate. It's faster. because these kids come out. It's not like you know. You, you go back twenty years ago, and again, you use rugby as an example or football example. You would get signed out of school, mate. You went playing for the first team out of school. You go and play in the academy for two or three years. You might play for the A team or the twenty ones, twenty threes, whatever you want to call it, and then you might come up, mate. These kids are good to go. Like when they, do you know what I mean? When they're because they're exposed to it at a young age. That's why you get these sixteen, seventeen year olds. They're good to go, but unfortunately. You, you pick up a, a few injuries and stuff and it's like, well, it's like the NFL. For a friend, I remember saying before, a friend of mine, uh, he's um, head of S&C at Birmingham Uni and he went out on a placement to uh, one of the big American ones. I think it was out in Texas. And he said, when he was chatting to the head of their S&C and he's like, mate, I've got the easiest job in the world. All I have to do is amp these boys up because if you get injured, bang, you're gone. There's somebody coming in to take your spot. And that's just the way it is. And rightly or wrongly, that's the way it is. You know, that's how you, you ultimately breed these, you know, it, these it athletes tough. and it, stuff. It is tough. Like a League One game, we're, we're playing 60 games in the league. Like we're playing more like massive games. Like, And I saw uh, Kevin De Bruyne complain two days ago about these extra minutes of having like 16 minutes, extra minutes. Like how is it up the how, how season? That? Yeah, and it's like if you do that, like players are gonna be knackered. Like that's another twenty minutes of football, and obviously it's just yeah, you want to have the ball rolling. It's it's trying to stop the 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 time wasting, but it's a lot of minutes if you add them up. If you if you add that every game for and you have six games sometimes in in a month, uh, already that's sixty seventy minutes. Sometimes you end up having one more game. You end up playing one more game per per month, and that's just very difficult. Like yeah, to understand for for players. Talk about player welfare, and you, and you look at these these top players like Kevin De Bruyne, for example. They become gets gets a flight across, or plays plays a Wednesday night uh, Champions League match, and then he's got to be good to go on Saturday on Saturday, on, on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, plus with the flight, because they don't stay the night in in Normally Leverkusen not, no. or Bayern when they play them. They're str- on a flight back, so they're getting home at what three o'clock in the yeah. in the morning. I'm ass- I'm assuming their routine has to be. They prefer, sure. though, to sleep at home. Like, if you're a player, uh, I've yeah. asked this question a lot. We actually learned that. And speaking to a guy called Derek Fazerakoli, who's played for Bo- uh, Blackburn Rovers, and he's now my flatmate. He worked for England as an assistant manager. He he told me, as an England player, you, you like to go home and sleep in your bed. So when he was with Man City and they played, I don't know, in Shakhtar or in Moscow, they would fly home. And even if they would come home at 3, 4 a.m., you better sleep at home then the next day is obviously recovery just late in the evening or uh, the next day uh, after that. So Even the likes of Ryan Giggs. <laughs> he he never actually he uh, went to his home home. He was going to someone else's house, wasn't he? Yeah? <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> at least he's back in England. At yeah, least he's yeah. back in England. Wales, but. Wales, but. Um, here's, uh, as I said, as is always the way, there's no real chronological order. We love to just bounce around about different topics and such. What I wanted to ask you about is patterns like patterns in football because for me you understand only, patterns in rugby yeah, patterns? yeah I understand patterns on a, on, a, on a squash court and I like my football and I like my West Ham as you know but I don't, I got no idea about a pattern yeah. what do you mean with a pattern, pattern well, so like a, a way a oh, way you're play. trying to a way that you're trying to play obviously I traditional big, I know Big Fat Sam he had a way of yeah. playing <laughs> and it worked though <laughs> up at Bolton Wanderers didn't it worked for everyone there's not a club that he hasn't but it's like you know obviously hoof the ball up get a big tool get a Peter Crouch up there, you yeah. know, nod the ball down, happy days. That's yeah. one way to play. 
Um, that's, a lot, yeah, a, that's a, loads of different. It's just how, how what you believe in, what you've learned on from. We had a manager last year who was very high press paced, managing trying to win the ball as quickly as possible and finish as quickly as possible. Now we have a manager who likes a lot of possession, working the way up a bit more like Pep in that area, trying to work the way up and, and finishing off uh, with the possession and trying to let the opposition run. But then we play Wickham and Wickham is big players, six foot five, all of them play long ball, play for the second and we're going behind. So football has so many patterns and it is actually just in what you believe, yeah. uh, in my opinion. And and, but, and, uh, and hoping that the, the 11 boys on the park Yes, yeah. can, can play to that pattern as yeah. well, yeah, or have that belief that that pattern's going to. Well, get ultimately, them if you don't buy into what the coach says, you're not going to play. Do you know that's yeah. that's what it. That's yeah. what it's it, very what tough. It comes down to, isn't it? Yeah, well, I I spoke to Hugo Lloris and he he told me um, the coaches that he has had, and he had had Pochettino, Mourinho, Conte, and and Ryan uh, who came from the academy. And you go like, I asked him, so, so what's the difference? What what makes Mourinho? a cup-winning coach, what makes Pochettino uh, one of the most intelligent coaches, what makes uh, uh, Conte Champions League or, or Premier League winning coach. And he told me everyone is completely different. And uh, uh, can I go into much detail about saying that how does a coach make you want to work for him? It, like everyone thinks Mourinho has a fatherhood, like who, you want to work for him. And it starts with by giving small gifts like, oh, you know what? I know you have a family. Why don't you go home today? Spend your time with your kids. Go and pick up your girl. You'll think about that. When we then play Chelsea the next window, you know, you'll be like, oh, you know what? He he he, he took care of me in the week. Trust I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work for him now. And then you have Conte, who's really good with his patterns, making sure we want to play this way. And if we do the session 20 minutes, just this, that's what we're going to do. We want to make sure we get the best way of playing out and that, if that means the ball has to be one metre here it has to be here if the ball is two metres there now we restart so it's really some coaches are really driven into that but then you have more coaches like Klopp who are just a very good open personality and have their style of play of high press this is what we want to try and achieve and he has experts working for him in different environments tactical and technical parts I mean it's it's really I guess it's very eye-opening to talk about how how different it is but there's also a lot of similarities when you when you when you relate it to other sports because ultimately what you'll find is guys who are coaching at I don't want to say a lower level but let's say outside of the Premier League you ultimately have to you know be at a place where firstly you're allowed to put your spin on it because if you're coming into you know you get people who might only get brought in for five or six games because they're trying to keep a team up and it's yeah. like well this is going to be low risk football trying to get draws or something like this or um, am I getting a year year at it when you uh, you know when you, when you take on a team but said ultimately the proof's in the pudding you know if you're not winning you're it, it, you're gone aren't like, you? you look at last year Leeds brought in Sam Allardyce and uh, the assistant uh, manager was the coach from Oxford who got sacked in Oxford and he knows Sam Allardyce from uh, Bolton Times and stuff like that so a coach who got sacked Oh, not they left on mutual agreement in Oxford. He, he ended up becoming the assistant manager in Leeds and trying to fight for uh, keeping them up in the league. Now, it is so crazy how things can go by who you know, not who you are. Yeah, you find that a lot in football when yeah. uh, a manager is taken on board most of the time they're not just taking the manager there's a there's normally a backroom team or a team that support him certain coaches who will help ultimately yeah, trust them. play yeah trust trust the big one you know but ultimately help you play in uh, in in such a way one question i wanted to ask you obviously your your goal as a as a as a foundation coach you're trying to develop these young lads and hopefully they'll progress to the next step of this model that they have at, at Oxford United now you can't be naive enough to sit there and be like we want all uh, 23 or 26 players in the Oxford United squad to be products of the system the way the game works it just doesn't happen and it will never happen again it never will um, certainly at the top level because ultimately if you can pay some cheddar and get somebody better in that's what's going to happen but how does it work if you've got uh, Frodo Baggins he's a cracking under 16s player he's played with you but someone like a Chelsea or a Liverpool comes knocking on the door and ultimately wants them to play you know for play for them is it just a case we can't do anything out of this or is there a, 
No, there's, there's. So we actually this year, last you know, last season, I was coaching the 15s. They then be going to 16s. The moment you're 16, we can offer scholarships. So that's where then they become professional. They where they get paid. They have a, a full time program with us, four times plus a game. The moment we offer that to a player that we think has a potential to be in our scholars and 18s and 23s and and first team, we can then dictate a price. If a player at the age of 14 comes, then you look at compensation fees and you can also negotiate a bit of a price, but you can't go overkill. For example, we had the player go for six figures now at the age of 15 to Fulham. But it's not that we, we had him for eight months. So I had him for eight months from October and we sold him in, in May. So that's how quickly things can go when you have a position specific player that the other club needs. They don't buy normally at nines, tens, elevens. They end up buying later because it's a big risk to buy someone at eleven. Who hasn't hit puberty and Felix yeah, really and developed yet? How it's going to grow? How it's going to whatever size is going to get? When they are 15s, 16s, that's where like Chelsea brought the player from West Brom for one million. Like at the age of sixteen, that's where then suddenly a lot of money can get put in. Are there? Because I, I again, this is just stuff we sort of read on the news and stuff. Because there's instances where a player might. So uh, let's say you, I'm you're you're West Ham, you're Oxford. Okay, you sell a player, and there's like a stipulation in the contract. Whereas if you're sold on, so you, let's say you get sold on to I don't know Barcelona or something like that, the original club that he's come from can then still pick up a percentage of that. Yeah, it's a sell-on fee. Yeah, but it happens here in Luxembourg. Yeah, Pjanic, though, for it? example, Schiffler's yeah. there. Their new pitches is obviously paid by Pjanic's move when he went from Mets to uh, Lyon, Lyon to what was it, uh, Juventus, uh, mm-hmm. from Juventus to Barcelona, Barcelona to Turkey. Like so, each each shift. Schifflon still get yeah like even yeah I don't know how much he went to uh, Juventus for if it was like for fifty million but they must get like a five percent fee or whatever it is about finder's fee <laughs> yeah five yeah, fee, yeah, yeah five percent of five million or ten or fifteen million still a lot to still a little, little Schifflon sh- yeah so you know <laughs> that makes you pay a new pitch and and facilities so yeah they are selling clauses obviously uh, on that part I mean it just dives into that sort of business side of of. Uh of the football and it it's one of those things where maybe your success isn't ne- necessarily determined by actually finishing top of the stack I mean uh, I, I don't know the ins and outs of Arsenal back in the day but when they you know they had Wenger for that long long period where they didn't win anything and they were bloody good team yeah. but technically they weren't winning anything but he must have had a f- pretty efficient business model in to be bringing people in and selling people on yeah I mean, from, from a business point of view I'd imagine it was very French, successful French you know? there was yeah at one point, wasn't every it? club is different obviously and and like you look at clubs like Red Bull Salzburg or you, you might not know but they're in the top three of like they made over the last 10 years they made, sold about 650 uh, million well they just and sold the Hungarian boy Slobberslay to yes. uh, who was playing for Liverpool yeah, so today he, he played he, yeah. before that like there's obviously the Red Bull have their like City have their City group they have all different clubs in Mumbai Sydney all that yeah, uh, Leipzig also have theirs in New York in, in Leipzig in, in, in uh, Salzburg and it's just feeder clubs for them and um yeah, big clubs can have different strategies. Leipzig is fine, cheap, sell high. Dortmund, they are, have a lot fine players in good level. Haaland and sell them on. Jude Bellingham, Sancho. Mm-hmm. Every player you get, Isaac now playing for Newcastle. Every player you get, they're, they're trying to find on. Everyone is trying so to from find a business. So from a business, the owners must be very, very happy. happy. Yeah, but then the fan base is like, we want to win. Yeah. So, you know, why are you selling Haaland? If we can keep him, we can win. But we can win, yeah. Because yeah. we can pay, pay everybody's <laughs> wages yeah. for the next three years without doing anything. And that's why. Yeah. What about what about yourself and, and, and Luxembourg? Do you take a, Do you take an interest in what's happening with the teams? I mean, if, if, if some of your players must yeah. be, yeah, or some of your your, your, your former friends and, yes. and and school buddies must be playing for Luxembourg. So you take an interest? Yes. In the in the past, it was all just Luxembourgish old people. I didn't have any connection with. Obviously, mm. I coached with the national team of Luxembourg a lot. Also during COVID, they were quite nice. When England was close, closed. I was allowed to be in Luxembourg and that's where Ranold Broy and Manuel Cordini, they were so open to me and I was allowed to come in and, and, and do sessions. And um, by doing that, I've done the generation, like now most of the people up in the first team are actually friends. I've known them, I've played together. So I actually have a more connection of 
wanting them to do really well. Now you have also players coming up that I have trained myself since the age of 14, since they've been there. So now seeing Timoteo Opil, Ivandro Borges playing up in first team, Matthias Olsen, you see them and you're like, I must have yeah, not been a big mean, part, but I was definitely part of something. And it can be just a proud moment. Yeah, that's yeah. For sure. and, and I've created a relationship with most of the players there and, and they've become not only just players, but friends. And it's nice to see them play up there. And They're doing very well. They're, yeah. they're doing, one would say, very, very well. Yeah. We went and saw them oh, well, a few times in there, haven't we? Uh, if they play Iceland now twice and beat Iceland twice, they actually might have a good chance. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, according to chat, chat, what do you call it? Chat BT? ChatGGP. Apparently, it's going to be two-two. Yeah, according, <laughs> according to them, it's going to be two-two. <laughs> I actually think Lux may have a good chance of winning, yeah. unfortunately. But um, <laughs> well, got unfortunately, the population three hundred and twenty-five thousand Luxembourg. Seventy-two, 600, actually three hundred and seventy-two thousand. Three seventy-two. What? Population of Iceland. Yeah, they did pretty yeah. well. I mean, they beat England in the Euros. Yeah. Leave it out, mate. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they do, but, but still, phenomenal, phenomenal achievement at that time. Um, must be proud for you to go into yes. an environment where it was. How did they get? How, how did they? How did they do that? How did a, 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 how did a team with you know oh, such with, a small population? Well, there's uh, many factors have to come together. <laughs> like, well, actually, you're more interested about how you ended up in the uh, the Icelandic. Set up with the under twenty ones. Did you just happen to send the email in Icelandic, no, and they were like, "Here we he, go." He, he can't write Icelandic. He can speak Icelandic, but he can't can, write. Yeah, oh. I can speak and, and uh, yeah, I can read it halfway. But how it came is, uh, I was doing my ma- my bachelor, and when I managed to qualify twenty eighteen to the World Cup, uh, I coach uh, contact the head of coaching, so who is like the coaching educator about delivering the coaching badges to the coaches. I contacted him through the FA, said, listen, I'm doing a study. My bachelor work will be about Iceland and the success that they've had now. And he says, listen, 2018, Matt, everyone is coming, South Africa, every, everyone wants to see how, we, how, how Iceland has become such a nation playing and you know, drawing against Argentina, beating Turkey, Holland and England. Like we, everyone wants to know. Then 2019, I got in... I was able to go for three weeks and I was with the women's first team, men's first team, under 21s and under 16s. So I've been, I was there for almost three and a half weeks just with them, one camp after the other, and it was a fantastic time. Then the under 21s coach, who was also the technical director, he actually liked my work. He then, me and stayed in touch. Like in rugby, suddenly you get a phone call. Hey, uh, in November, we're playing England under 20s. Do you fancy coming? Obviously. Yeah, so, <laughs> Let me have a think about that. Yeah, so, uh, we're playing in Wickham, which is half an hour away from Oxford. What did you do when he, like, did you, like, have the phone and you, like, press it on mute? And you, like, <laughs> oh, I'll just bring it back to you a second. Nah, here. Sorry, like, <laughs> no, yeah. so, yes, obviously, I um, straight away said, yeah, I'll come over. Uh, I was allowed to be with them for the game. We played England under 21s. So that, that's the, actually a group. That won the like the World Cup. No, the under twenty. Oh, in the Southgate. Yes. Was it? Yeah. No, the the team that won now this summer, Angel Gomez. All these players that they were playing, they played actually against us. So oh. nice to see. Where how, was where, where was that played at? In Wickham, in High Wickham. Okay. So half an hour away from Oxford, and I was really happy to be involved in that. And since that moment, then I was just involved in them. And then COVID came, so I did a lot of remote stuff uh, for the year twenty twenty. And we managed to qualify us ourselves through and we went to the Euros 21, which should have been in 2020. And um, yeah, it was actually played in Hungary and Romania, if I'm correct. And we played France, Denmark and Montenegro. That's how I got to, into that area. But to tell you about the success of Iceland, how they come there, there's many factors uh, that came in through my study that I did. This has also to do like... Denmark, uh, um, Holland weren't the best in the group stage at that time, but you take the, Holland 10 years ago, they were a superb nation. Like everyone has their ups and downs, whereas Iceland now they're back in regenerating. They can't just put a formula out and say, this is how we're going to do to be back into the World Cup Euros or whatever it is. Now, there is the, the, the forms of other t- countries. It's the work that has been put in by the government in the Icelandic Federation into the school system and helping kids do more sports. And I'm sure that would interest you about how the education program works in cohesion with the sport, not only football, but handball, football, uh, table tennis, whatever it is. And how the club, uh, the country is subsidizing and helping them with the fees in developing. And, you know, if you're here in Luxembourg and you finish school at four, 
you know, to get home with sometimes the transport. At my time, you were home at like 5.30. You had uh, cornflakes at 6.30. You had training in racing. Mom was driving you through traffic. You had to leave early, blah, blah, blah. Then you come home at nine. You have to eat dinner and then you have to do homework. So do you know how to solve that? Make the provision for sport at the schools. Yeah, so that's what people. I yeah, that's what I can do. Yeah. So they also finish earlier. So you are able to do uni uh, school at the age of 12. You finish school at uh, one. You have a bit of a lunch break. At two o'clock, you're still in the school environment, but you have to be signed up in what sport you want to do. From two to three, you can do handball. And from three to four, you can do football. These people are also... Quali- the only two sports in Iceland, isn't it? <laughs> the main ones. In, <laughs> indoor sports, yeah. is it? Yeah. So the, well, no, that and CrossFit. CrossFit's the oh, third oh, sport, there isn't we it? Go, yeah, there yeah. we go. They're, they're good yeah. um, so that's how then you, straight after school, you do sport. So you get the, you stay away from doing the unhealthy things. You do the uh, the education before then sport. And when you come home, your parents should be done by work for half five. They can pick you up, you go home and you can still do your homework. So that's how you, they have managed to get away from a high percentage of alcohol, drugs and, and, and smoking to then going into now a sporting country, if you look yeah. at it like that. Yeah. Lo and behold, how many years have you been out of uh, Luxembourg? Five years. Five years? Yeah. Nothing's changed, mate. They're still, <laughs> the, the, the st- they're still the same. We've still got the kids, and it's a very, very difficult. I mean, as, as you know, I'm at, a, I'm at a sports club, and it's very, very difficult to get the children from yes. school to the sports club, and we're only 250 metres away. Yes. It's, but it's, it's, it's a challenge, whereas if the school's got them, they can... It is funny, though, because we see a lot of this stuff that's published about... Uh, there was one that came out about these uh, teaching resources which will help... Do uh, you know? Give you ideas and stuff. And I say uh, the biggest thing about a lot of sports coaches is you're just lazy. Like, just get a post-it note, write down what you're going to do, and just be energetic as hell. And that rubs off on the kids, and they're going to want to come back. And then you can start having fun. If you start screaming and shouting at kids, almost I don't want to say being French, but being French, yeah. you know, that's what's ultimately going to put uh, put them off. Put exp- kids and stuff like oh, that. Um, you know, I always say with my. Uh, with my coaches and stuff when we do it is like if you're absolutely shagged at the end of it if you're absolutely goosed you've done something right because the kids will see you putting in the effort and it's funny you joke around about like getting involved with the sessions I've said this before when we've done this I was actually told when I was doing my PGCE you should never put yourself in a position of vulnerability (laughs) when you're teaching and I think that is the biggest amount of tosh Tosh. in the world I think it's it's massive for you to be like yeah I'll take you on one on one you know if you get beaten you get beaten but if that makes that kid keep coming back for the session oh sir do you remember that time I beat you one on one I'm like yeah yeah an elephant never forgets you know Mm -hmm. and I'm sure there'll be an instance where you get to make it one one and it but again you know kids kids remember that sort of stuff and ultimately that's going to make them come back and and keep I don't know if you remember, you. but like I remember when I was taking on my coach, like he should be the prime example of the player that you want to become. So if you have a young kid skilling the coach or not making the coach and then the boys all buzz off that, you know, that's a memory that sometimes you might have for life. I'm now 26 and I still have the memory when I beat my coach and I scored into a mini goal, you know, with no kick. I hope you reminded him of that yeah. uh, half an hour ago yeah. when you were at his place. <laughs> well, I remember, I used to love it, love it when I was teaching the, you know, what would happen is uh, we, we were a three-term three term schools with three-term sports. So it'd be like rugby was first term. So I was going to get picked. I'd get to pick my favourite year group. You know, not necessarily the best year group, but certainly the most fun to teach. That meant football. My head of department, he would pick what he wanted. And I would be like, right, well, I'm going to get the, uh, the misfits here and stuff like that. And I remember taking them out for football. And this was in my first year teaching at the school. And I was like, well, what, you've got to do something where, you know, you can, they can be like, oh, that's class. And like, I, I can kick a football, like obviously from my rugby background, so I can hit free kicks yeah. and stuff. And I was just like, right, lads, everyone get a ball. So I grew about 20 kids, right, stick your ball down there. We're just going to practice free kicks. Two goalkeepers. This was just for our little warm up today. It's two goalkeepers just changing in. Oh, one of the lads, go on and hit one, sir. And I'm like, go on then, I will hit one. Bang, top left. And they're all just like... <laughs> And in my head, I'm like, I can't believe I've hit that. You don't, you don't tell <laughs> you them that, tell them stuff that, like that. And then that, that is enough for the next sort of, you know, 15, 20 minutes. That's all they want to try and do. And then we get into, uh, you know, then you get into games and stuff. But you're, 
you're essentially shown, you know, and if they'd have actually watched, um, you know, probably missed 20 of them beforehand and something like that. But when you show that you are human, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mate, we used to play tennis. I used to get an absolute hiding with tennis. The, the cricket was the best one. So go and stick the pads on and be like, right, come on, lads. <laughs> Trying to hit them onto the dome and stuff like that. But I think that's something yeah, that... Yeah, having good fun with your, sh- with, with, with your students. You've got you to have, have good fun. You can't take up coaching, as a, as, especially as a football coach. You can't start coaching the under fives and think... I want to coach Man City. That if as soon as that becomes your end goal, yeah, gonna... you know it's. Uh, what I read something the other day, like um, too many people focus on the the sort of the uh, not not the next step, but the end. The end, the elite. Whereas actually, the journey is the yeah. bit that's fun to talk about. You know, like well, Alex, I hope you make it onto bigger and better things. No, no doubt about it. But even if you brought out a book now, I bet you'd have some cracking stories about <laughs> yeah. the stuff. We can't tell them all, obviously. You know. Um, but yeah, it's almost just appreciate what's going on because, you know, circumstances can change very, very quickly. Appreciate the the, ne- the person above you can come in, he might not like you, then you've got to start sniffing around somewhere else. It's very fickle football, do you know what I mean? It's, very, very. it's um. You were speaking about, obviously, uh, just to go back to your, your session about your school is 250 metres away from mm-hmm. your facility. And I and sometimes... Like 250 meters ain't much. Like, we, 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 no, we, we, we can agree. We can agree. On yeah, that. yeah, you have sometimes five, ten kilometers away. But in Iceland, they sometimes go as volunteers. They go to the school and say, "Listen, when you have your school block of sport between 10 and 12, can you walk them across? And we're going to play squash today. I'm going to teach them all squash. That's where then you get like 50 kids go in that two hours. You teach them with your other colleagues squash. Now." You're going to do it free for eight weeks. Then after the eight weeks, you're going to go and tell the boys, you're going to give them uh, yeah. letters and you go, listen, go and tell your mom that if you really enjoyed it, come back. And that's how then they then start filtering the players from school to then when they come to 13, 14, 15, yeah. where they have to choose which what they want to do to suddenly go, oh, you know what? I want to be with... Yeah. with so it's actually the relationship with the Mazon Relay yes. is actually more more okay. than the school. So that's where... That, yes. That's what that's how we go through that... Okay. Uh, get, yeah, go through the link and get, yeah. the, oh, and, nice. and get the Maison Relay children to help. When we first started this, I said the start would be the hardest bit because once we get going, we'll, we'll just keep going about the... <laughs> yeah. uh, the whole thing. I mean, I guess the way to sort of wrap this up is to sort of say, um, what's what's next yeah. on your agenda, or how are you? You know, what's next on the horizon for you? Um, Obviously, you've done the 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 twenty one stuff. Is that you know, stay involved with that, or or just Oxford, or yeah, you, you tell us. Uh, I'm going actually now to to Lithuania now under twenty one. I got invited. We're playing Wales as well under twenty one. So, so working with Lithuania, working with Lithuania. Okay. So the club has been quite open and, and I, uh, nice about it by letting me go whenever there's international break. I think this also benefits for them because there are not many coaches who work with national teams at uh, at League One level potential and I go away now in, in September then October, November so whenever there's a break of international windows I'm allow, uh, allowed to go. Uh, this year I'm, I'm trying to make sure I focus on my job which is 7s to 10s and making sure I can do the best I can. My aim is still or I want to become a a gaffer or coach, wherever you are. That's my, my main aim. And that's why the club is helping me being with the 18s, 23s. And sometimes on Saturday, I was with the first team players. So I managed to, to help out as much as I can and learn from the people that I live with, who are obviously ex-pros and both of them. One is an SNC coach who's been in 30 different clubs. And the other one is obviously been in national teams and has played more than 600 Premier League games. So working and learning from them, that is my next step and qualification wise I need my A license now so I've spoken to the club they said they're happy to support me and that's what I want to go and starts in January so need to get on it apply for it in October And sounds like you're in a, a, a brilliant just going to pick up on a little bit of jargon he used there the gaffer gaffer yeah where, where does the word gaffer come from oh, I, I looked it up the other day but I can't actually remember I, know I, I, would, say, I, I would say um, come around to my gaff meaning house but gaffer is yeah. different gaffer so it originates from the 16th century in England and the term gaffer was used for the head of an organised group of labourers um, and also used colloquially to refer to an old man, which several managers were, who then entered the sporting world. Yeah. So, but essentially, okay. these Someone sports, these, because if you go back, sorry, we're going off on a tangent here. This is what happens. <laughs> if you go back into the history of sports teams, 
essentially they evolved from working Laborers, working from, yeah, class yeah. people you know working in the steelworks the coal mines whatever it might be and part of that they would set up these football teams arsenal okay was another one west ham would have been another one all those ones around but all exactly and then you you move up the north of the country and and, and everything like that you know sheffield obviously the steelworks and all that sort of stuff and then from that yeah that's it's quite interesting how it's it all very, links together isn't it it's a, i mean Alexandros is a sponge. He's going to remember that for the rest of his Yeah, the gaffer. Yeah. <laughs> but we always talk about putting together a pub quiz team and stuff like that. Nice. You know? yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we do them one day and be like, does anybody know where the word gaffer comes up? And I'm like, I'm glad you are. I'm glad you are. <laughs> I have written it down. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I don't think we, you we, we, this, again, um, we didn't have enough time, did we? No, this won't be the last time uh, we have you on the show. Um, please stay in comms with us. We'll be following you uh, following you. Um, very diligently and yeah. I'm actually looking forward to having a conversation after this about a few other bits because uh, it always gets me going when you talk to somebody who's ultimately made that decision to go down the, the professional coaching route which is you know it's pretty ruthless but also uh, very rewarding so we wish you all the best and Thank I look forward to uh, hearing you soon as always uh, we give a huge shout out on the show to the huge army of volunteers out there who make our sporting world tick whether it's from washing kit peeling oranges marking pitches coaching the kids on Sunday mornings all the keyboard warriors out there keep doing what you're doing you're a massive part of the sporting world you can check out the rest of the team tomorrow from 6am we've got the Sam Steen show you've then got the lunchbox with Stephen Stepslow at 12 don't forget the home stretch with Melissa Dalton from 3 you've also got Dave Burrows and his DB3 sessions you've also got the hangover show at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning until then it's cheer. cheer. cheer.